watched that this week, there were, um, it's hard not to, uh, to wince every time it gets to the point of seeing the nail in his hand. And uh, what an incredible reminder of the, the suffering that he went through. As I think about the significance of all the things that Jesus said, um, and right there at the very end of the video, it's this, this statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It really, that is a statement of, um, at the time, everybody there, uh, every Jewish person would have known exactly what Jesus was saying. He was actually referring them to read Psalm 22. Um, they didn't have chapter and verse like we do today. They wouldn't say, turn to Psalm 22. Instead, what they would do is they would give you the, the first line of the psalm. And then you would read it. Jesus was saying in that moment, if you want to understand what's going on here, you want to understand the cross, read Psalm 22. And when you do, when I encourage you to take time this week, take time this week to read Psalm 22. It begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it talks about the mocking and the suffering that he has endured. And the end of the chapter is how the Lord had saved him. Key point number two for us this morning is this, the cross. We looked at the, the courts, now let's look at the cross. There is no forgiveness where there is no humility. There is no forgiveness where there is no humility. Let's pick back up verse 26. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man named Simon of Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented, lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore breast, which will never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God, the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your garden, or when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breast and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Let's pause there for a moment. Beginning right around verse 40, what we start to see is we start to see um, people making commitments to Christ. They see the sacrifice that he made. They see what he did. Their eyes are open. They see the, this incredible sacrifice, someone who did nothing wrong and is laying down his life. And we start to see people make commitments to him. Let's consider the first one, the man on the cross. The man on the cross next to Jesus, what did he say? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was one of the first commitments to Christ while he was right still on the cross. Consider this, Jesus himself made a commitment. What did he say? Father, into your hands I do what? Commit my spirit. Jesus made a commitment. Who was the next one? The centurion soldier. What did the centurion soldier said? It says, certainly this was a righteous man. He made a commitment. He recognized all the stuff that was going on. So you start to have these people that are making commitments and recognizing something significant is going on here, and they are committing themselves, recognizing that Jesus is an innocent man. In the final verses of Luke 23, we are then told of a young man who was a council member. This young man who was a council member, part of the Sanhedrin, part of the, the elite, the rulers, if you will, uh, part of the Sanhedrin, he was one of the, the religious leaders that watched this whole thing unfold. In fact, he was very wealthy. Listen to this description, picking up verse 50. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, in other words, part of Sanhedrin, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself also was also waiting for the kingdom of God. Now let's pause there for a second. A couple things going on. Don't want us to miss. He's part of the Sanhedrin. He's seen all of this up close. He knows their motive. He knows what they're doing. He knows what the rest of the guys on the Sanhedrin, he's part of that group. And it says right here, he says that even though he's part of that group, he's a council member, it says he had not consented to their decision or their deed, what they were doing. 
He was, he was not in agreement with it. In fact, we know that there were a few on the, on the, the Sanhedrin, a few in leadership that didn't. We know Nicodemus was one of those. Nicodemus and Joseph are one of those. Nicodemus was the one in John chapter 3 that came and asked Jesus uh, about inheriting eternal life. And, and, and Jesus talks with him. And that's where we get John 3.16. So Nicodemus was one that, that becomes a believer. Joseph, a very wealthy man, becomes a believer. In fact, it tells us that he was from Arimathea. We'll come back to that. Let's look at verse 52 and following. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of a rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Well, we come to the end of the chapter. It's very somber. You know, here we have Jesus in the tomb, all of these uh, people making all these different commitments. I want us to go back and again look at Joseph. Who exactly is this Joseph? Of Arimathea. Who might this rich, young ruler on the Sanhedrin be? Hmm. Who might this rich, young ruler on the Sanhedrin, who might he be? Who might this Joseph that is called a, a very wealthy man, young guy and part of the Sanhedrin, a rich young ruler. Now, you might say, wait, wait a second. I, I remember you saying a few weeks ago that you said that was Barnabas. You said that the rich young ruler was Barnabas. I distinctly remember we were talking about this, and you said, wasn't the rich young ruler, wasn't he Barnabas? Well, you're right. You're right. Here, here's how we get there. The city of Arimathea is a city that is set aside for the Levites. What do I mean by that? Levites didn't have their own tribe. Levites were given their own places to live. Arimathea is one of those. Joseph was a Levite. In fact, he was a very wealthy Levite, a very wealthy Levite who owned property, something you're not supposed to do as a Levite. You're supposed to be given property. You're supposed to be given these things. And here he is an owner of property. He has developed quite, quite the wealth. So the city of Arimathea being a set aside for Levites. And we know that Joseph uh, was a Levite. But here's where, here's where, and I don't think we have this on the screen. But if you want to turn with me, Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Here's what it says. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Huh. So, Acts chapter 4, verse 36 tells us that who is this, who is this rich young guy? His name was Joseph. And what did the, what did the apostles call him? The apostles nicknamed him Barnabas. 
Why would they do that? Why would they give him this nickname? Barnabas was a nickname given to Joseph by the apostles. The nickname of a man who brought great encouragement during one of the darkest hours in the lives of the apostles. So let me ask you this question. Have you made a commitment to Christ? Have you committed your heart to Christ? The thief on the cross, he saw it. He saw it. The centurion, one of the Roman soldiers, he saw it. He gave his heart to Christ. Others, Joseph, the rich young ruler, part of the Sanhedrin, gave his heart to Christ. What about you? You can do it today. And that leads me to one last thought, the commitments. There is no discipleship where there is no sacrifice.